Losing Weight to Gain Control. Today's episode, Look Awesome, Feel Awesome with Ben Coomber. Hello, everyone. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to give you a point of reference that I forgot to mention during the interview. In the podcast episode, we do talk about pounds and stones. And just to give you a point of reference for those that live in countries where we use pounds, one stone is equal to 14 pounds. So hopefully that'll help you as we go back and forth to give you a point of reference for how much that would be. Now on to the podcast. Welcome to today's episode of the Losing Weight to Gain Control podcast. This is Gwen Alexander, your host. And today we have a special guest with us today, Ben Coomber. Ben is a nutritionist, coach, and podcaster. He lost 5.5 stone of body fat, then built 3 stone of muscle. He became more athletic and stronger and changed careers and went into health and fitness to help inspire others. And Ben is also the host of the podcast, Ben Coomber Radio, which is the UK's number one rated health and fitness podcast. So Ben, welcome to the Losing Weight to Gain Control podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, We got the time difference. All right. We're up. We're on it. All good. Yeah. So that's great. That's one thing about uh, I've learned in podcasting is always ask, where do you live and what's your time zone? So yeah, so thank you for for helping this to work out. Now, for those uh, who may not know you, uh, I always like to start with having the guests go into their story of how they got into, you know, wanting to lose weight or like in your case, you wanted to build, you built more muscle, but just to make that change in their life. So what's your story? Sure. So to set the scene, I'm 34 now. So my weight loss journey was some time ago now. Uh, I lost weight or started to when I was 18 and it's because I was going into a career of acting and the performing arts and I was going about my auditions and I was getting a lot of rejection, I was getting a lot of failure and uh, there was a point where I looked at myself and said, perhaps I'm the problem, perhaps I'm not the best version of myself, I'm unfit, I've got health issues, you know, I, I just don't look and perform at my best. So I started going on a a journey to become fitter, lose weight. I did uh, what I felt at the time was just common sense. I started to run more. I started to try and eat better, but I wasn't really losing any weight. I kind of lost like five and a half pounds over sort of like six to eight weeks over the summer after I left school. And I was like, "Hmm, this is frustrating. Anyway, a load of things happened and I ended up joining a gym. And uh, had an induction, as you do, with uh, the one of the gym trainers. And he gave me some sage advice, gave me a book. I ordered the book. I applied it. And through those subtle changes, I lost five and a half stone in uh, in six months, which is, you know, a significant amount of weight. Uh, my health then improved. My confidence improved. Like, everything improved. And I sort of gradually over the course of like 18 months, two years, uh, left 
my desire to go into acting and the performing arts and I just got a passion for health and fitness so I initially did a personal training course just to train myself better to understand fitness better and uh, it just morphed into a passion at the age of 21 I went to university in my second year of uni I started uh, my first online business and throughout those years I've worked in pro sport been a speaker I've coached kids parents I've taught trainers I own a supplement company and it's all been sort of quite digital uh, since about 2008-2009 so it's been a half decent journey but it all started with my weight loss journey. Well it sounds like it started with you you wanted to be a, like you said a better version of yourself uh, I always call it where it's people have that moment of I just can't I can't take this anymore I can't live like this anymore and it always seems to be the motivating factor to just make the changes that we all know we should do type thing. Um, I don't remember if it was y- your story that I read where did you have some uh, issue body uh, po- or body issues with the way you looked where where you felt like when you before you lost the weight that you didn't like yourself or not like anorexia. But you know how some people get so down on themselves and I didn't know if, like I said, I didn't remember if it was your story I read or someone else's of uh, your negative self-image of yourself. Yeah, I think I just sort of, I I didn't ignore it because I remember being about uh, 16, 17 and trying my first diet. I remember buying a book and it was uh, the Men's Health Testosterone Plan. And I remember going to the supermarket with my mom and buying all these foods and trying to lose weight and stick to the plan and stuff. And my mum, you know, helped me loads. She spent, you know, extra money on all these funky foods and stuff. And I, I just, I, I remember wanting to change my body for quite a lot of time, just not really knowing how to, not really investing the time and information, not having the right kind of resources. And, you know, as a kid, you're also juggling that amongst like just living and having fun and going to school. So like it, it doesn't feel like you can really apply like a mature approach to the situation. But yeah, I was never happy with my weight. I remember always wearing like a jumper as a kid, you know, not often wearing a t-shirt and feeling comfortable and having to readjust myself and stuff. And then it happened again when I lost all my weight and I didn't like just being really skinny. And that was when I went on the muscle building journey to kind of shape my physique and stuff. Um, So yeah, it's not a straightforward process when you lose the weight there's still a lot of readjustment, like mentally, you know, you, you essentially become a new person in many ways. And that takes a little bit of time to come to terms with that, to learn how to almost live like that. It's just different. Do you think, I think that's one thing that a lot of the, I hate to use the term fitness influencers don't concentrate on that part, like the mental part, because there does come a point when you, you're physically changed, but you still think of yourself mentally. Like I'm still that person that's 70 pounds high or more. Uh, I've gone through that. And that was one thing this time that when I lost the weight, it's like, okay, you have to look at where you're at now. You're not the 270 pound Gwen anymore. But I think that's what's ignored. Everybody just wants to talk about, okay, you need to eat this. And then you need to just exercise like an hour a day. Do you, I call, I call these cookie cutter cookie cutter diet plans i don't think you're the kind of person that likes those do you know what i mean by cookie cutter Mm -hmm. like the same plan if somebody comes to you and says ben i need your help i want i want to do 
what you did. Oh, tell me what to eat. Give me the plan. Are you mm-hmm. one of those that's okay, here's your plan. There you go. Or do you try to sit with individuals and say, okay, let's see what your particular needs are right now? It's kind of a mixture. So um, I have sort of plan when I, I don't coach actively anymore. I just teach. But I would give someone a plan based on their body weight. And then I would teach them how to implement that long term. The reality is a normal diet for most people kind of looks the same. Real food, good balance, you know, good consistency, getting your timing right so you don't get too hungry or tired or anything like that. So it's, it's kind of the same. So I use templates to say, look, this is kind of what a high healthy diet looks like. By all means, get started, follow it for a week or two. But now I'm going to teach you about how you build this, how you build in meals that you like, how you cook, how you prepare, how you get your mindset right to your nutrition, which is you know the biggest component for most people. It's, it's the, the, the mindset behind um, how you view food, how you understand food, why you eat food. So um, I get why these cookie cutter programs exist because it's easy for people. You just sell them you know, $20, whatever here or there. But it doesn't help people long term. It doesn't change them. But I do value the benefit of having some kind of plan as a starting point, um, however generalized that might be, and then teaching the components of it over time to create an autonomous individual. Oh, I like that approach because uh, I think many of us, including me, you mentioned how your mom tried to help you when you were younger, you know, to start a plan. My family uh, have had no concept of of nutrition, of how to prepare food in a healthier way. And even today, we still kind of talk about that. And th- and I tried to tell them about, oh, you know, there's a better, there's a better way of how to prepare your food. And they, some of them are just like, I, I just don't like that. And I said, well, when you get ready to change, you'll change. One thing I wanted to ask you, you mentioned in your story, when you were younger, you were, you were kind of heavier. Did, did you ever have where your friends or your peers would tease you about it or or make a big deal out of it, or even even any family members, did anybody ever say, well, you need to go lose some weight, or you need to try and move more? Did you have that as a child? Oh, uh, yeah, my whole, whole childhood, I was one of two overweight people in the whole of my school. So I was, yeah, the fat guy, the overweight guy, uh, got bullied the whole time, yeah. Oh, man. One thing I wanted to ask you, too, uh, physical activity. Recently, I've I've gotten into biking. Actually, today it's on my list, even though I'm awake really early. Uh, that's my physical activity that I'm into right now. But I, I find that people have a hard time trying to find what fits them. The question I usually get is, what can I do to burn the most calories right now? And usually my response is, well, what do you like to do? I think what happens is many of us try to find what's the fastest way to burn those calories, but then we don't continue with it because... We really don't like it. What's your view on trying to get physical activity? Do you uh, have your people go for the approach of at the beginning, let's do what gets you the most calorie burn? Or do you say, okay, we just need to start with where you are, like you said, where you are physically? What do you like to do? What what are you going to continue long term? I think there's generally two types of people and it depends on your readiness to change. So some people will be very ready. They'll want to join a gym. They'll want a diet plan. Like They'll kind of want it all and they'll be ready for it. So I don't think there's any harm in using that energy and saying, look, go to the gym, like go to a spin class or a hit class or whatever. It's going to burn a ton of calories. But again, it's it's about 
the education process is about autonomy. Like you can't start someone off on that plan and then not readdress it because at some point it's going to go awry. Like you can't maintain that energy focused determination and absolutely just keep killing yourself in the gym and keep getting the results. So once someone's been doing that a couple of weeks, you start to say, right, okay, let's think about it a bit more. Let's maybe periodize it a bit better. What else do you enjoy? Because ultimately, if you're always doing really hard training, you're at the risk of hitting fatigue, especially if you have a couple of nights of bad sleep, that kind of stuff. And then on the other side of it, there's people that are sort of like in that, they're in that halfway point between changing. They kind of want to change, but they're a bit worried. They don't like gyms. They're worried about changing their diet too much. And for those, it might be all what healthy behaviors could we implement that aren't too much stress for your lifestyle? So could we just walk more? Like, do you have a friend that loves going cycling? Could you join them on a cycle? Do you like, do you have a friend that goes swimming at the lake at the weekend? Cool. Well, could you go with them? And all of a sudden you just try and softly like tack on healthy lifestyle behaviors to an existing lifestyle. And then that person ends up going on the journey and saying, actually, I'm really enjoying walking a lot. And actually, I've started to notice some weight loss without even trying that hard. Or I've really enjoyed, you know, getting out into the lakes at the weekend and stuff. So, you know, again, you talked about a cookie cutter program, like, who are you? How ready are you to change? How unsure are you of fitness? And the, the best answer for everyone is just at this point in time, do what you can. Like, if you're happy to go out and walk for an hour with your friend, go and walk for an hour. Like, it's a healthy habit. Like, pat yourself on the back for that and then just keep building it over time. And, you know, too many people do go very extreme very quickly. Like, they're right, I'm dieting tomorrow. And then, you know, they throw all the food out of the cupboard and they join a gym and, it, you know, and they've, they've not really thought through how that's going to pan out long term. And then they hit the five, six, seven week, eight mark and then they've just sort of, lost motivation burnt out gone away for a week on holiday or whatever so um it's really important to connect with yourself and ask what is possible what you're willing to do what you're capable to do and just do what you can and build from there you look at where your life is right now and then go from there because that's a one thing i think many of us we get into the mode of whatever i do right now is what i'm going to continue to do the rest of my life and even for me my life is not the same as it was even a year ago. Well, for many of us, because of the current situation with the pandemic, you know, my financial situation has changed. So I'm able, I was able to buy more fresh food. I was able to buy more exercise equipment. I like to work out at home. So um, that's, that's my big thing, but our lives change. Like the, the plan should be able to change with you. Does that make sense? Or as your Mm -hmm. life changes? Cause I think, didn't you just have a baby thrown into your life. So for a lot of people, okay, you might start getting less sleep now, or maybe you don't have a lot of time to devote to physical activity, but that doesn't mean it's going to be forever. You know, the kids are going to grow up and not need you as much. What do you think about, how do you counsel people about rest days? Do you recommend that maybe they have a day where, like you said, they don't go all out on the physical activity or maybe do yoga or something like that? Do you, how do you usually guide people in that area? Yeah. It it can be tough because people, once they get the bug for fitness, they kind of want to sometimes go at it every day. Uh, And I I do get that feeling. I had it when I was younger. But, you know, we we have to have balance. We have to have periodization. Um, I always sort of say to people, look, the chances are you'll want to commit a portion of time most days to exercise. So even if you're going to say, right, I'm going to exercise for one hour a day, 
let's periodize that one hour. So one day, Monday, for example, you might do something really intense, but on Tuesday, you might do something quite light. So on Monday, you might do a spin class, but on Tuesday, you might just go for a walk or a gentle swim. And then Wednesday, you might go and do a hit session or weight training or, you know, whatever. And then Thursday, you go for a long walk. So I, I do think it's very uh, important to periodize, but it does depend on what intensity you are performing at on the days where you go at it. So, for example, I'll use myself. I'm someone that likes to train hard. I like to train with intensity. But because of my situation, my environment, I can't do that too often. So I train less frequently but maintain the intensity. So if you were training really hard, like Monday, I'd probably go lighter on Tuesday because you're just not going to be able to go hard every day. But if you're not that fit, so let's say you're just getting into exercise, the chances are you might just be going out for a walk, going for a light jog, going for a swim, like just getting into it. You could probably safely do that every day because the intensity is kind of quite moderate. So again, it's it's kind of a wider assessment of like, what is your exercise type and how much do we have to periodize it? Like if you're looking at an, an athlete's training program, to coin an extreme example, they train really hard some days. So the next day they usually have a light day and then they might train really hard again. You need to take the same approach. So if you train moderately, you can do it consistently kind of every day. But if you train hard, you need to be a bit more intelligent about the programming. Do you think that social media kind of pushes the train hard every day idea? Because I have some people I follow on uh, you know social media and I'm thinking if I, it just seems like every day they're posting a picture of how they're doing these heavy weights and you know, they're doing some hit workout. And I'm thinking, do they do that every day? I just don't, I mean, I know personally, I couldn't do that, but I wouldn't think that would be good for them either. So do you think social media is kind of promoting, uh, go at it pretty much seven days a week all the time? 100%. Yeah, there's loads. There's people that I follow. I'm just like, I could not do what you're doing every day. There's several components to that. And we need to be wary of who we follow and what they're like statuses, loads of fitness influencers, that's kind of their job. So they've actually got quite a bit of time to recover and, you know, relax around the intense training sessions. Um, some of these athletes are assisted. So let's be honest, some of them are taking drugs to help them recover, which is an unfair advantage, which would seem like they're recovering really, you know, uh, quickly compared to me. And then some people have got you know, their their recovery routine dialed in. So they can train a bit harder. They are sleeping really well. They are eating really good food. So I think context is important. Yeah, I had a friend tell me the other day, she's, I think she's 25 or 26. And she she's lost some weight. But she said, I wish every weight loss person I follow wouldn't just tell me, do keto, do keto. I wish there was there were more people that were just like you with a be moderate. And I, I was trying to tell and encourage her, like, you know, you're doing it right. Just because you haven't gotten your weight off in like a short amount of time, because it took her about a year or year and a half. I said, doesn't make you any less than those people. I mean, like you said, they do that for a living. Some of them I know have chefs or they have, you know, the programs where they pay for uh, somebody to cook for them. She doesn't have that. She can't afford that right now. But one thing, I want, another thing I wanted to get your opinion on, personal development for weight loss, like setting life goals. Sometimes I think what's ignored also in the weight loss industry is what what else do you want to do with your life besides lose weight? Because there's going to come a point where, okay, you reach your goal and then what? 
do you try to help people to focus on that area also? Like, let's let's see what else do you want to do with your life? I do. Uh, my thing is uh, live an awesome life. So I very much like to focus on all areas of life. And that's why traditionally as a coach, I've gone deeper into people's weight loss goals. Like, okay, cool. You want to lose weight. But why? Let's be really honest. The chances are you want to lose weight because you know, you're fed up of being restricted of clothes choice. You want to feel great at a party. You want to have a confident sex life. Like there's loads of actual real reasons why people want to lose weight. And it's really important to be honest with yourselves about them. And the good thing is, is that on in the future, so if we lose weight, you've then got all these things to look forward to. Oh, I want to lose weight because I want to get outside more with our, with my kids. We want to go kayaking at the weekend and, you know, go swimming at the lake or, you know, whatever. I want to be able to do these things. I want to uh, improve my social life. I want to pick up dancing again, for example. Like, you know, someone might be really into salsa dancing when they were younger, but they can't do it anymore because it hurts their knees because they're overweight. It's like on the horizon of you reaching your goal is loads of cool stuff. And it's about focusing on all that stuff to get you there as well. You know, there's so much cool stuff we can do with our lives. Like, and I talk about this thing about being all in. Like, are you all in on your life, on all areas of your life? Like when you turn up to your job, are you all in? Are you that guy that is there? Are you that girl that are there? Your relationship, are you all in? Like your sleep, do you value it? Are you all in? Uh, your diet, your nutrition, your fitness. Um, and when I, when I feel when you take an approach like that, you do great things as an individual because you're passionate just about life in general. Yeah, it seems that when you start taking control of your weight, other areas of your life seem to kind of go go with it. Like when I uh, finally decide, you know, I'm getting this, I want to get this weight off, then my finances got better because I was starting to focus more on, okay, I need to budget. It's 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 like a ripple effect with things that you do. And one thing I, one of my goal reasons why I decided like I wanted to look better and feel better. I wanted to get into speaking, which I've been able to do, but I didn't want to stand up there in front of people. and feel like, boy, they're probably saying, look at that blob standing up there. And uh, that's one of the things that would go through my head. And my last speaking engagement before everything shut down, I had a uh, older gentleman pulled me on the side and this and this outfit I had on was cool I mean this was I call it a power suit power outfit and he said I just wanted to tell you you look really good in that outfit and I tell you that just made my my not just my day but the whole it's almost like the culmination of all the hard work in that one moment that physically I looked the way I wanted to and you know with the like you said um, buying the clothes that fit well it was just like, wow. And that's what I, I, the message I've tried to get people to understand, and it sounds like you do too, is it's not just about losing weight. It's about who do you want to become by losing the weight or getting better. When do you know that it might be time to make a change to your plan? You know, we all, let's say somebody started a plan today. It, it was working great for them, but now they notice maybe the weight's not coming off as quick because, you know, they're not at their goal yet or they haven't reached physical, like an exercise goal. So what what's a, a cue that maybe, hey, maybe it's time I need to start going in a different direction, you know, like tweaking my food plan or tweaking my exercise plan a little bit more? For me, it was the stress of feeling restricted. So when I lost all my weight, which was oof, like 15, 15, 16 years ago now, 
I followed a, a paleo diet. That was like the thing people were talking about at the time. It seemed logical. It, it seemed like, yeah, eat real food. But the paleo diet generally has um, an aversion for carbohydrate-based foods. Yeah. It demonizes them. So I'd lost all this weight by following a low-carb diet. And then I got into my maintenance mode and I was able to stick to it for quite a while. But then I was getting frustrated. I was going out for dinner and I was like, oh, really want the ice cream, but I can't have the ice cream. Oh, I really want the pint of beer. Oh, damn. And I was just in this conflicted point And I was like, there's got to be a better way. Like the rules that I'm following feel like they're not allowing me to live my life. And that's the problem that people have with diets. It's either like the diet is on or the diet is off. And I was like, well, how about it's kind of on off? Where's the middle ground? And that was when I really started to research the science of nutrition, understand that carbs aren't bad, um, that calories are king, that actually you can have a couple of drinks of alcohol and it's, it's not going to like mess anything up, just make sure it's calorie controlled. Um, so that was my cue for exploring more is like my own frustration, but also um, being a coach because I ventured into that world. My clients were having similar troubles. Like they were struggling with like well, what happens after the plan. So I then started to look into behavior change and adherence and mindset around food. So, um, yeah, it was frustration at not being able to live life to the full, but also being lean, athletic, healthy. Yeah, uh, I one of the things this time when I lost the weight, I, was, I told myself, are you never going to eat another piece of cake again? And I was like, well, no, uh, but it's not an everyday thing like it used to be in my life. So it's. I think you can still have, like you said, have those things, just put it into perspective. It's not an evil food uh, or like sugar. I saw the video you did on sugar. I loved it on Instagram the other day about it's just it's a part of what overall part of just what you have. Just control how much of it that you have. That's that's my take on it. And you mentioned about drinking. How how important or do you focus on, you know, the the liquid calories that you consume? Because one of the things I did, I, I say is I don't want to drink my calories. I'd rather I would prefer to eat my calories. So what's your your uh, take on drinking your calories or the what you consume in that way? Yeah, I agree with you. I'm very much of a similar mindset. I think you've just got to be mindful and you have to make a trade off. Like if you want to go to Starbucks and you want to have a creamy frapper whatever and it's a 340 calorie drink the reality is that's half the calories of an average meal for most people so you've just got to be mindful of that uh, when it comes to alcohol alcohol catches a lot of people out because it's very easy to keep on drinking especially in a lot of the social situations that we get in we go to a bar one drink leads to another and then all of a sudden you've had 800 calories of alcohol and then your blood sugar levels got really low because you've had loads of alcohol and then you're like Oh, I'm going to get something really, you know, carby, chips, whatever. And then all of a sudden, the overconsumption of calories is extremely easy because of the types of food we've chosen to start eating. And that's where a lot of people do great in the week. Like so many people do pretty, pretty good job with their health in the week. And the weekend undoes it all because of, you know, the overindulgence. So we do have to find a middle ground. Like when I talk about alcohol, I always just say, look, Go out and enjoy yourself, but know when stopping is for you and know why you're stopping. Like for me, it's two drinks. I'll like I'll have two pints of beer and I know that any more, that's a lot of calories. And any more 
I'm probably going to have a bit of a headache the next day, feel a little bit groggy during the morning, and I don't want that. I'm self-employed. I need to get up. I need to do the work. I want to do it efficiently. I don't want to be doing my work any longer than I have to. So my rule is two drinks, and I don't have any more. And that's just a rule I stick by. I don't feel like I really miss out on anything. Like I'm not thir- I'm I'm not 25 and going clubbing anymore. Like I'm, you know, I'm a family guy. I, you know, I like having my energy and time at the weekend. So yeah, I, I think we're on the same page, 100. percent Yeah, I um I don't drink alcohol, but like you said, with the the Starbucks frappes, one thing that helped me is once I started looking at the nutrition information. You know, it's great today. I mean, I can Google, you know, how many calories or whatever. And a frappuccino or or any any place, even a, a lot of the fast food places have their nutrition information online. But educating myself to how how many calories, you know, how much fat were in a certain product, it, it actually started to stop me. I don't know how 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 your food labels are in your country, but here, you know, they give you a recommended serving size. And when I started looking at that, I'm thinking, I don't eat like only three cookies. Who eats only three cookies? Mm-hmm. Uh, who eats only a half a cup of ice cream? I don't eat. You know, most people when they eat ice cream, they just start piling it in the bowl, and you you don't know what's there. So that kind of stopped me from actually wanting some of those foods because I thought, well, okay, I can either have this huge bowl of ice cream or I can actually have a meal, a nice meal. So the ice cream slowly started to go away, uh, or the cookies. Or one thing I noticed is if I started actually cooking my food, like if I made cookies. It seems like two cookies satisfied me. But if I bought the prepackaged cookies, I could eat the whole thing and still go back and buy another pack. Do you find that the food that if you if you cook your own food, that it's better for you, even if you're eating what they might call a bad food, like cake or something? Do you notice that you actually probably eat less of it because it is you have made it, you know what's in it, the ingredients that's in there? Yeah, um, I do think the companies that are often selling us food are very good at making them hyper palatable. Like that is their job. If you uh, eat a pack of cookies rather than a couple, then the company's done a good job at getting you to eat more cookies. I think there's a couple of components there. There's a hyper palatability component. There's um, the real food component. Like if you made a, a cake at home, probably have a bit more nutritional value. Your, your taste buds and brain are going to be receptive to that nutritional value. They're going to be like, oh, you know, we've got some good stuff here. You're probably likely to make it not as sweet as well. And we generally find that the sweeter a food, you'll continue to eat it because it lights up a real uh, pleasure center in the brain. The brain wants to keep receiving that dopamine. Um, so there's a, there's a couple of things there. Um, I just think also there's a massive satisfaction about you know, baking your own cake, baking your own cookies, like the smell, the process, the reward factor. It's even more rewarding to have like one of your own home book baked cookies, being able to give it to a friend and saying, hey, I bake these, you know, here's one for you and your daughter or whatever. I think that's quite nice. Yeah, it kind of gets you out of where you're just not eating it just because it's there. I have a friend where um, uh, he, he'll ask me to bake cookies sometimes, but it's something I enjoy doing. And it gives me a chance to connect with other friends because then he'll tell his friends about, hey, you need to talk to Gwen and get these cookies. They're they're awesome. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of the social thing with that also. Another question I wanted to ask you is one, one of the things I did years ago when I first started my journey again, I was eating a lot of uh, frozen foods, like frozen dinners from, from uh, the store. And at that time, that was 
pretty much all I could afford. But I realized that they didn't fill me up. Well, I kind of hate to admit this, but I remember one day I ate the frozen dinner and then I was I was still hungry. So I ate another meal and I thought, OK, this this is not working. So one thing I had to learn how to do was the transition into eating real food or healthier food. How would you guide somebody through if you know they're at the point of, OK, I want to try and get away from the prepackaged type meals like that and get into eating real food? You know, like where you cook it. That's what I consider real food. I didn't know if that's the way you look at it too, but how can they start to transition into that area of eating real food? I think the easiest transition is starting with what you know and what you enjoy. So when a lot of people go on diets, they'll get like a new diet plan. And we can talk about keto because you've raised it earlier on in the show. They get their keto diet plan. They're like, oh, okay, cool. So this is a keto meal and they have to go and buy new foods and they have to learn the recipe. And it becomes a bit of a burden because all of it is new. The foods are new. The recipe is new. The process is new. But what about if we wanted to be healthier, we just asked ourselves, right, do I know three healthy breakfasts that I enjoy? Cool, write them down. Do I know three healthy lunches? Do I know three healthy dinners? And start with them. They're easy. They're known. You probably know how to make them quite well. Like in the UK, there's many classic dishes that we cook that you you guys across the pond probably do as well. Like uh, spaghetti bolognese is a classic over here. Things like shepherd's cottage pie. Like they're all good, wholesome family meals. So just start by cooking them. And then once you get into the process uh, you start enjoying it again, you value cooking. That's when you can open up a recipe book and be like, right, let's cook something new this week. Let's let's try a new breakfast this week. And then you just keep adding to your repertoire. And it's at that point that I recommend people have like a, a note on their phone or stick it on their fridge door that every time you sort of add a recipe to your repertoire, you make a note of it. So when you can look back and you're like, right, I'm going to do the food shop. You can look back through all these ideas and they're just there because what we tend to do is we we recipe replace in our brain on this kind of like seven day rotation. We keep doing new things and then we just keep having to find new and new ideas. And then we kind of almost like fatigue the process. So on my iPhone, I've got um, a general weekly shopping list of the things that I like and commonly eat and think are good for me. And I'll choose from them. And then I've got a big list of breakfasts, lunches and dinners. And me and the wife will be like, yeah, let's cook that this week. Okay, let's get some of that. Oh, that's in season at the moment. So we'll get that. And all I have to do is look at my iPhone and it's all there because I've just slowly built up over time. Yeah, I think uh, I noticed for me what I do. It's the same, like I said, the same recipes, just I rotate them at different times. So I might go four weeks and have the same recipes. And then the next four weeks, like, okay, let's go to this group. So I try to encourage people to do the same thing, you know, get get your group, your favorite recipes, like, uh, you know, groups of them, and then just rotate them because most people eat, families too, eat the same thing. I When I was a kid, we ate the same foods all the time. I, now I think about it, there wasn't much variation there. Uh, you, you brought up sleep before, and I wanted to talk about that because I've noticed, or I even noticed years ago, when I am tired, I want to eat everything in the house. Or go for the the candy bars or the cookies to try and get that quick energy. And sometimes I realize all I need to do is go take maybe a 20-minute nap or 30-minute, and then I'm not hungry anymore. Have you found, I mean, I don't know if there's any scientific basis to that. I just know what, what's worked for me. Have you uh, found that if you just get proper sleep, 
that can help you also. 100%. And there's plenty of science there. If you don't sleep enough, it dysregulates your hunger hormones, primarily leptin. So it's really important. And that's when I teach, I generally use sleep as the first part of the process. Because like you say, if you're not sleeping well, you'll crave lots of bad food, sugary food, caffeine, salty food, just hyper palatable food. And the funny thing is, however much you eat of it, you still continue to crave more. Um, and that's where you'll go for a packet of biscuits or cookies or, you know, whatever, because you're just tired. So sleep is so important to this journey. How do you usually uh, help people with figuring out how much they need? Because the standard is usually, okay, you need to get eight hours of sleep. And like me, I can go on six hours sometimes. So why am I going to try and make myself go for that extra two? Just because supposedly, you know, I'm supposed to get eight. How would somebody go about figuring out, okay, what's right for me? Because, you know, it's not cookie cutter with that either. Yeah. So seven to eight hours is the, the generalization. If someone can be fine and function well and have no downsides on six hours sleep a night, every night, then that's absolutely fine. Some people can get by with that. But we've got to kind of have this clear definition between kind of getting by and feeling okay and optimal. So if we want to be optimal, then we need to kind of really find out where is our optimal uh, place with sleep for me it's seven hours i generally get six or six and a half um but what i'll find is throughout the week i'll get like six hours six hours seven and a half hours six and a half six and a half seven and a half so it kind of like undulates a little bit it's never exactly the same so i think for most people if you're consistently kind of getting six and a half to eight hours sleep across the week as an average then you're probably pretty close and it's just always going to vary for me, the first step in improving your sleep is just simply a commitment to improving your sleep. Like if you have to get up for work every day at uh, 6 a.m., then the chances are you probably need to be in bed at like 9.45, 10 p.m. to be able to get to sleep with enough time to get your seven and a half, eight hours sleep. Whereas most people go, oh, I need to be up at six, it's half 10, now I'll go to bed. And then they get in bed and then they look on Facebook for a bit and then their friend messaged them, and then they're now quickly messaging a friend, and then it's 11.45, and they're like, shit, oh, I need to, oh, no, I need to get to sleep now. And then they're stressed, that they're not going to get enough sleep, and then this cycle continues. So for me, good sleep hygiene has rules. For me, my phone goes off at 8 p.m. I'm in bed by 8.30 p.m., and I'm generally asleep by 8.45 to 9 p.m. But I go to bed very early because I'm up very early because of um, my lifestyle with our new daughter and me uh, wanting to get work done early in the day. But either way, I have rules of when the phone goes off, when I commit to going to sleep, when I go to sleep and when I get up. Yeah, I think some people have a hard time with uh, turning the phone off or the TV. I find that, let's say if I need to kind of fall asleep around 945, at nine o'clock, I have to start my routine so, you know, I, I, I kind of sit in bed, I don't get on the phone, but it's almost like my body needs time to shut down a little bit. And then before I know it, I'm asleep. So it's done. But I think sometimes our lifestyles are so hectic that we just don't take that time to get the downtime to, to let our bodies, you know, say, okay, it, it's time to turn off right now. Well, Ben, I appreciate you being on the podcast today. I love all advice that you give. It is so great to connect with somebody who... Their, their main message is just keep it simple. You know, don't have to make it complicated. So if the listeners would like to connect with you, where can they, where can they find you uh, on social media or 
you know, find your podcast and also if you have any encouraging words to give them to, to help them to continue on? Sure. If you want to find me, it's Ben Coomba, just all over the internet, whether you're a fan of podcasts, Instagram, Facebook, I'm on all platforms. C-O-O-M-B-E-R is the surname. Uh, my final words of wisdom would be just keep thinking about this word awesome. It's my thing. Uh, if you want to live an awesome life, what does that mean? Well, it probably needs a good amount of sleep. You need to be well hydrated. You need to eat real food. You need to have a healthy mindset. You need to believe in yourself. You need to push yourself to grow in certain areas of your life. You need supportive people around you. You need powerful environments that motivate you, inspire you. Um, and you get all that right and you're going to live a very awesome, very fulfilling, very fun life. And that's ultimately what all of us want. Oh, thank you. And I love those words of wisdom. Thank you. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only. I'm not a medical professional. You should consult with your doctor or medical professional before beginning any weight loss or exercise program. 